thank you for being here. We expected on holiday weekend we would have a low amount, and this has actually been our largest amount. So thank you for coming. I hope more and more people are feeling comfortable coming back in public. We respect uh, people having to make their own choices. We're trying to do our best uh, to make an environment where we can come together. And so uh, just continue to be patient and prayerful for your church. We're thankful for those that are still connecting with us online. Don't forget, uh, those people that are online are still part of our church. We want to make sure that they feel like they're still part of our church. Uh, We're connecting with them as best we can. But again, thank you for being here. It has been uh, my privilege to be gone the last two Sundays. Uh, Two weeks ago, it's been two weeks now, uh, my daughter got married in Grand Rapids for the second time in four months. Uh, COVID bride and uh, married her in my backyard. And, and I, I don't know if it's true that pastor's kids are extra blessed, but who has two weddings in four months outside in Michigan without any rain? I, I think it's a blessing. So yeah, I was, I was pleased with that. Thank God for that. And we are 14 days out, which means our wedding was not a COVID hot spot. So we're thankful. We kind of breathed a sigh of relief when we passed 14 days and nobody had, had received uh, that from, uh, from coming to the wedding. So we're in the clear. And then last week, uh, I got to speak at my friend's church. Uh, his name is Scott Church. He was destined to be a pastor. His name is Pastor Church. And uh, he was a pastor at Battle Creek. Uh, I was reminiscing. I was 20 years old, graduating from college in Grand Rapids. I got a call from a church. They wanted to meet. And I met at Russ's restaurant in Grand Rapids with two old dudes and talked about ministry. I look back now and realize I'm older now than they were when I met with them. What does that mean? Don't say it. Uh, <laughs> time has moved on. He, he's been the pastor of that church in Muskegon for 25 years. How could it be? He was there. He was in that church longer than he was with us in ministry in Battle Creek, but we still have great friends there. It was a great reunion. They asked me to come to be the keynote speaker and just honor his 25 years of ministry there at that church. So thank you for allowing your pastor to be on the road two weekends in a row. Uh, You were blessed, though. I'm always thrilled when one of our elders gets to preach. So two weeks ago, our elder Bruce Paris spoke, and I knew when I asked him what he was going to preach on, the powerful name of Jesus. That's what he, he always is talking about that. That's how he prays. He prays in the powerful name of Jesus. And then last weekend, you heard from Pastor Shane. I'm always thrilled when you get to hear uh, from one of our pastors and one of our elders. We ask all of our elders to preach at least once. Uh, the Bible says elders ought to be apt to teach. That doesn't mean they have to stand in the pulpit, but we use that opportunity uh, so that you can see our elders handling the Word of God. I think it's a great opportunity uh, for you to know that the elders at Oakwood are men of God and can handle the Word of God. And so I'm thankful. They shake in their knees a little bit, get sick in the stomach when they have to do it, uh, but I'm grateful when they stand up and experience that and you get to experience them. So I'm grateful. This morning, I've got a title for you. The title is Once Slaves, Now Sons. And we're going to be in Romans 8, 12 through 17. So open up a Bible or get a gadget on. Let's look at Romans 8, 12 through 17. Now we have a title, but later on we're going to have the big idea. The next five weeks are all titled like this, Once Something, Now This. And this week starts that series in the letters, and it's Once Slaves, Now Sons. And I was looking through this, uh, the, the passage that the Gospel Project gave us 
was actually Romans 8, 12 through 39. It was a huge chunk. And as I'm reading it, I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, there are seven sermons in here. And you don't want to sit here till 2 p.m. listening to your pastor preach seven sermons. And so I took the privilege of just saying, there's no way I can preach this whole chunk. I need to just take a... Somebody say amen. Somebody be happy the pastor's going to do bite size today and not a whole thing. Uh, but just real quickly, if you got your Bibles open, Romans 8, just think of all the, the depth coming after the passage I'm going to preach, 12 through 17. Uh, Paul is talking about uh, creation itself is an eager expectation for the children of God because creation was subjected to frustration. That's a whole message in itself. Why is creation frustrated today? And who frustrated it? And Paul talks about these things, but a lot to delve into there. And then later on, he talks about the Spirit intercedes for us through groans that we can't understand. Well, there's a whole message there talking about how when we pray, the Spirit interprets it to God and and speaks on our behalf. And that's a great thing. But then we get into some of the most misinterpreted passages of Scripture. Down in verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And you might have heard that verse, been misinterpreted. God works everything for your good. Well, I'm going to tell you, that passage is misused because God does want the best for you and me. That doesn't mean cake all the time. Sometimes it's Brussels sprouts. Sometimes it's broccoli and no cheese on it. I don't mind eating broccoli. It's just got to be smothered in cheese. And we look at the passage like this and think, well, God wants everything good, 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 good. Well, guess what? I'm going to tell you very honestly as a pastor, there's a lot of bad. Amen? It's just the truth. There's a lot of bad that happens. Is God working in that? Yes, he is. And he's working for your best. That doesn't mean it's good. It's good for you. (laughs) Some people interpret that and they're like, well, man, I'm a Christian now. Everything's going to go great. Everything's good. Everything's... No, no. Sometimes bad things happen to good people and god can grow you through it but oh i I hate it when i hear pastors preach that and they're they're making it out to be a health and wealth gospel everything's going to be great for you you're going to be rich you're going to be wonderful you're going to be happy never get sick no no i know wonderful people men and women of god sick struggling suffering so we've got to look at a passage. i could preach a whole thing on that but i can't i don't have time so the next verse Right after that, in verse 39, oh my goodness, there's a six-week sermon out of that one. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among the brethren and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Oh my goodness. Pastor's not going to go there today. That's the whole thing about election. Did God choose you or did you choose God? I know all sorts of churches that have split over this issue. That was supposed to be point five, sub point B, uh, in a message that would have taken me five hours to preach. I can't go there today. So we're going to just put that off to the side. And then there's the whole rest of it. There's probably one of the favorite verses in scriptures down in verse 38 in this chapter. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, nor present nor future, nor any powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's a sermon in itself, so I'm not going there. We're going to go Romans 8, 12 through 17, bite-sized chunk, and hopefully we'll come out of here with something to take home with us today. You with me? Go ahead and say it out loud. Say yes, PD. 
Ooh, I missed you for two weeks. Don't get in a bad habit of sitting there quiet. All right, let's pray. Would you pray with me? Just say this prayer, not out loud, but just silently in your heart. God, if there's anything you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Can you just pray that prayer today? God, if there's anything you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this be edified and may Satan be horrified. In Jesus' name, amen. Once slaves, now sons. Whenever you preach on a passage like this, I think it's important that we deal with the issue, the elephant that's in the room, the word slaves. I know we've been told and people have told me they're not coming back to Oakwood because we're too political. I'm telling you as a church, we're not political. We don't try to be political at all. Sometimes biblical crosses into things that get political. And I'm going to preach biblical, not political to you. And as a pastor, I would do a disservice if I didn't stop and just say, let's deal with the elephant in the room. The Bible and slavery. I want, to, I want you to know, because as people, we're living in a day and age where people are hurting, people are angry, and there's race problems. Your pastor believes there is only one race, the human race, and we learn that in, in Scripture. We all have different shades and different amounts of melanin in our bodies. Melanin is what gives us tone. Remember, I showed a picture of you a long time ago of a white person on a white background. We're not so white. A white person on a white background shows you there's a little color there. That's melanin. And then you should, a little black person with a black background, and they're not black, they're more brown. We're shades from white to black, and all in between, but all one race, the human race. And we're going to get there today to talk about this, because I think it's important that you have a defense. People will come to you and say, well, the problem with you Christians is the Bible preaches slavery. The Bible talks about slavery positively, and you need to be able to tell them, no, that's not true. No, that's not true. Slavery is mentioned both in Old Testament and New Testament. But you need to know what the Bible in totality teaches about something like slavery. I will tell you, slavery is an evil. It's a wrong. It's something that has happened that has been, we're still paying for it. We are paying for it to this day of this evil that has come. But the problem is when people look at the Bible and they see the word slavery, they're taking what happened 300 years ago and putting it back thousands of years ago. And it's not the same. We're not talking apples and apples. We're not talking peaches and peaches, I guess. That's the season it's in. We're not peaches with peaches today. What happened 300 years ago when people went to another continent, kidnapped people and brought them back and forced them to be slaves for life The Bible speaks specifically against that. The penalty for doing such was death in the Bible. You need to know that. So let's walk through that real quickly before I can preach this passage. Slavery in Scripture. In the Old Testament, there's many ways that somebody could become a slave. Yes, the Bible does talk about slavery when one nation would conquer another nation. The prisoners of war, some would be kept and they would be made slaves. Did the Bible say that that's a great thing? Absolutely not. But it is something that happened. We need to know when you look back at the Old Testament, polygamy was a common thing. Is that a good thing? No, it was not right. Did God allow mankind to do sinful things? Yes. Yes, he did. Did God reveal himself through time more and more? Yes, he did. He's the same. He never changes. But over time we have learned when God would speak on certain things. But God did not set out to just stop every wrong that has ever happened. He covered all wrongs on the cross through Jesus' blood. Amen? That's what he did for us. 
So yes, there were slaves, even from the Old Testament times. But you need to know that in the Old Testament, there wasn't a jail system. They didn't have prisons where people were sent away for crimes. So there's several reasons why somebody could become a slave, even in the Old Testament. One was selling oneself. You could be so far in debt and have no way out of that that the only choice you had was to sell yourself as a slave to somebody, to work for them. Another way is to be convicted of a theft. If, if, Dave, if I, if I stole from you, David, I took something from you and I got caught, uh, I, I could be, the court could say, you stole from him. You owe him five times the amount. Well, if I couldn't pay that, I would then become a slave to Dave to pay that amount back to him. There was no jails. This, they didn't have a jail system. This is how they worked out justice in the Old Testament times. It goes into a lot of, there's a lot of ways that somebody could be made a slave. One of them is interesting. The Bible says if two men are fighting and accidentally hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth, the husband can set a price for that cost and if the court agrees that that person has to pay and he couldn't pay that, he would have to become their slave. There's lots of ways in scripture that somebody would become a slave of somebody. But in Exodus 21, 16, feel free to look that up today and ponder over it. In Exodus 21, 16, kidnapping people into slavery was forbidden. The Bible stands against what happened 300 years ago. We do too, amen? Let us be clear. Slavery that we know of 300 years ago was wrong. And I want to make sure you know and don't hide in, and run in shame when people say, well, the Bible talks about slavery positively. No, it doesn't. And you should be willing to say, do you know it was Wilberforce, great preacher Wilberforce, who really preempted and made slavery go away. I know Abraham Lincoln had a little bit to do with it. But Wilberforce, if you study your history, it was Christians who stood up against that 300 years ago and changed the world. Christians. Not only do we know this, but I love in Scripture, people were not made to be slaves forever. And their children's to be slaves forever. David, if I stole from you, and the court says you got to pay him back, and I can't, I become your slave. But David, in the seventh year of me being your slave, you had to set me free. Because it was not supposed to go on forever. Matter of fact, David, after working for you for six years, when you set me away, you set me away with enough to have a fresh start. That's found in Leviticus 25.40 and Deuteronomy 15. You send that slave away to a new life, prepare him, supply him, give him ample lead to have a new life that's what the bible teaches about justice and paying back a debt what about the new testament the word we have is greek and the word is doulos and that word can have three meanings slave servant or bond servant it's a lot like english our english language is really hard for people to learn because one word has many meanings like strike if i tell you the word strike you could be walking around with a sign you could miss a baseball, or you could pop a cat in the head with a stick. Don't do that if you don't want to. Strike. Three, three meanings, one word. Well, in the Bible, every time you see the word doulos, doesn't necessarily mean that was a slave, and it never meant a slave stolen from a land and kidnapped. Another thing about the New Testament, it's not based on the color of skin. Again, People read back into Scripture, thousands of years old, what happened 300 years ago. And we're not talking peaches to peaches. We're talking a total difference. It was not a color issue. Back in the Bible, we're not talking blacks against whites in slavery. 
if you look up the word slave and find out the origin, the epidemiology of the word slave, it comes from Eastern European Slavic people. The word slave comes from the Slav. The original slaves were not black people. They were white Eastern Europeans that were put into slavery. And so you can't backfill into Scripture thousands of years old what happened 300 years ago. They're not the same. And the Bible clearly states that what happened 300 years ago was wrong. And we should not be afraid to say that as well. And besides, the Bible's very clear when it talks about slavery, it's something to be freed from. Galatians 5, John 8, Romans 8, John 8, 36. When the Bible talks about slavery, it uses it as an illustration of the gospel. We are set free, no longer slaves. So the Bible actually uses slavery as an image of something wrong and bad that should be fixed and remedied. So when somebody comes to you and says, well, the Bible agrees with slavery, what can you tell them? Don't be afraid to tell them, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Paul instructs Philemon, the book of Philemon has no chapters, just verses. Around 17, in the book of Philemon, 16 and 17, Paul instructs Philemon to receive Onesimus no longer as a slave, but as a dear brother. Boy, if the Bible is very clear about what slavery is, Paul tells the slave owner Hey, this, this person, Onesimus, has received Christ. He's, he should not be your slave. Treat him as a brother. Paul actually says, treat him, receive him like you would receive me. So does the Bible lift up slavery as a positive thing? No, it doesn't. It condemns it rightly and gives us an understanding of how we should look at it. That's my little soapbox. Pastor's going to step down now and preach the message for today, but I thought it was important not to bury our heads in the sand, but to deal with an issue. And hopefully it helps you to be able to answer when people say something about Scripture that's not true. We do have a big idea today. Oh, the two massive mountain peaks. Oh, I want to end with this. I'm not off my soapbox. Where's it at? Back on. Two massive mountain peaks today when we talk about race. When we talk about issues of race, the Bible gives us two massive mountain peaks. Why do we need mountain peaks? You need something to put your eyes on. And if you look at totality of Scripture, there are two massive mountain peaks when it comes to race. And I'll tell you, the first one is creation. All humans were made equally in the image of God. Genesis 1, Genesis 5, Genesis 9. God created all mankind in his image. We're one race, formed from one man, Adam. Amen? And we're equal creation number one the gospel number two god has overcome all racial social religious divisions at the cross and will one day gather a people who will dwell in perfect harmony ephesians galatians revelations the bible has two massive mountain peaks that all men are equal and and the bible makes sure that you and i understand that when it comes to these race issues we ought to stand firm in scripture and not shy away and feel bad no the bible teaches us the right thing the right thing now we can move on. The big idea today, God gives his children three new things. A new identity, a new reality, and a new destiny. Romans 8. Out of that passage I read to you, Romans 8.15 said, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And in him or by him we cry, Abba, Father. Even in this verse, it tells you that slavery is about fear 
And in God, there is no fear. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No fear. Sonship. And by the way, now that we're off the race thing, let's talk about the gender thing. Women, don't be offended when the Bible uses terms like sonship. You're included in that. It uses sonship to talk about being an heir. The first male son is a full heir, and it's talking about that. So women, please, today, understand that you are a child of God. We are sons and daughters. Amen? Sons and daughters. So don't be offended when you see the word sonship. Understand the context in which it was given. New identity. Number one, I am a child of God. Say it with me. I am a child. You ought to practice people. Here we go. Say it with me. I am a child of God. Do you know how huge that is? Romans 8, 12 through 17, there's enough there just to chew on to realize that we've been given a new identity. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if there's ever been a time in your life where you crossed the line of faith and said, I'm all in, and you said, God, I'm, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life as my Savior and Lord. If you've done that, you're a child of God. And immediately you have a new identity. What does that identity come with? You now have privileges. Oh, I love how Scripture says, once slaves, but now sons. Oh, that contrast is huge. Can you imagine being in fear, living as a slave, and all of a sudden you're brought in? And you're a child of the king. Oh, the difference is immense. As children, you have privileges. I talk about pastor's kids. There ought to be some privileges to be a pastor's kid. Don't you think so? Pastor's kids have a rough. I don't talk about you every Sunday, but I do talk about my kids, right? They get, they get, they get made into sermon illustrations, so there ought to be some privileges. Back in Battle Creek, my church had a gymnasium, full-size gym. So guess what? My kids, hey, had a gymnasium. <laughs> Daddy's got a key. It's raining or snowing. It's okay. We've got a full gym to go play in. Oh, that's a privilege. We got camp friends. Camp directors' kids are like pastors' kids. They own a camp. They have a lake in their backyard and an ice rink in the winter. Good for them. There ought to be privileges. Well, you need to know today as a child of God, you have privileges. Why? Why do we have privileges? I'll tell you why. It's because we have his name on us. As a child of God, you have his name on you. I know I've shared this illustration. It's one of my favorites, so i got to share it for those who are new. A long time ago, Josh and I got to hang out with Jeremy Camp. Jeremy Camp's an author and an artist and a singer. I know, Josh was little back then. It was a Promise Keepers event. It was uh, 5,000 men that came to this event, and I was the director of that event. And So I had a full access pass. You could see it around the... Our next there, Jeremy Camps. I wish you could see Josh's, but you can see it says platform, all access pass. It was great. We could go anywhere. There's big bouncers that stand in front of the, the places where the artists are at, and you don't mess with them. And, and if you had the pass, you just you, you get close, and it's great. They just these big guys just pull the curtain back and let you through. Well, Josh had to be there. Mom had something to do, so I had to watch Josh the day of the event. And so he had to tail me everywhere I went. And I found it difficult because I would walk through with my pass, and Josh would stand there scared to death that the guy was going to stop him. So I said, I know what I'll do. I took that pass, went to a black and white copier, put it down there, and copied it. And then on the bottom, I just wrote, Josh, son of Don. And I put the paper, just paper, wasn't even laminated, just a piece of paper on a clip, put it around Josh's neck. It was awesome because now Josh had full access. Everywhere we went, I'd walk through the curtain and he'd walk in right behind me, showing his son of Don. Son of Don. 
I love that, watching Josh be part of everything that was happening backstage, getting to meet people. They got, they got drumsticks and guitar picks that day. He just got to meet all sorts of neat people. But how much better is it for you and I? Oh, being a son of Don comes with privileges, but probably some hang-ups too. But to be a son of God... Full access. You guys aren't nearly excited as you should be. I'm telling you, you got privileges. You got his name upon you. I'm fired up when I'm preaching this message because I know what we've got. We've been adopted, the Bible says. I've got friends that have adopted children, and they celebrate their birthday, but they also celebrate gotcha day. Ever heard of that? They celebrate their birthday, but then they also celebrate the day they brought them home. Gotcha day. Do you... Do you have a gotcha day with God? Do you, have, do you have a knowledge of knowing that you're a child of his? And don't, don't say the old tired phrase that we're all God's children. Everybody's a child of God. No, everybody's made in the image of God, but only those who come to know him as Savior are his children. Are you a child of God? If you are, you've got a new identity. It comes with privileges. We have his name upon us. And we can approach God with boldness. What a great privilege. We, we have access right into the throne room of God. Anne Graham Lotz, I think her name is. She's the daughter of Billy Graham. She's an author and a speaker. I was reading as she wrote this past week, she was writing about growing up as a child of Billy Graham. They lived in North Carolina, and they had to have a big gate up because people would show up. People would show up all the time at the gate and buzz in and, and say, Hey, Billy Graham, I want to meet you. I've read your books. I heard you speak. All the time. Showing up just wanting access into the house, so they had to put a, a gate up. Billy Graham had an interesting answer. When somebody would come and say, Billy Graham, I want to, I want to meet you. I, he would simply say, Depart from me. I never knew you. That's what he would say. But Ann talks about as a child, she would come in. She'd be driving. She'd come back home. She'd push the button. She'd say, Daddy. It's Anne. The gates come open. I'm a child of God. Somebody give me a whoop. I'm a child of God. I've got privileges. I've got his name upon me. I can approach him with boldness. And I know that my God cares, protects, provides, and corrects. That's my God. He's my dad. He loves me. And the Bible tells us he will not revoke that adoption. I love that. If you've been accepted as a child of God, he will never take that away. J.I. Packer, the book Knowing God, great book. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to read it. J.I. Packer said this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. Father is the Christian name for God. Father is the Christian name for God. I have a new identity, but I also have a new reality. I have a new identity. I'm a child of God, but it changes my personal reality right now today. Do you guys know that? Your reality today is changed because of who you are. My life has changed from a spirit of slavery to a spirit of sonship. Verses 15b through 16 says that. Let me read it for you again. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. There's no fear, no dread, no inadequacy. My reality today is I stand not condemned before God. Amen? It's nice to have peace 
with God. Do you have peace with God today? If you haven't made peace with God today, become a child of His. Ask Him to forgive your sin come into your life. Then you become a child. And the Bible says, Romans says, there's no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not only that, there's now intimacy. Abba. The word Abba is great there. Don't start singing 70s tunes. People, people from my age are like, Abba, I loved Abba. No, no. This is a great word. And it's amazing that Paul stuck that in there because it's not in the same language he's been writing in. Paul has been writing this in one language and all of a sudden he sticks in an Aramaic word. Why did he do that? Abba is Aramaic and it's a familial, familiar term. Both familiar and familial. Abba means, my best, my best interpretation is Papa or Daddy. It's a term of endearment. Why did Paul stick that in there? He, he left his language and brought a new language. And it's because Jesus spoke in Aramaic, and that's how Jesus talked about God. He used the word Abba. Abba. Jesus knew God in a familial way, in a, in a familiar way. Not just, not just father, but daddy. When I was traveling and speaking and and, and I didn't like it when I would have all these teenagers that I was traveling and speaking in front of, and they'd come up, and then all of a sudden my child would come up, either Josh or one of my daughters, and they'd say, hey, PD, PD. I'm like, no, no, don't call me PD. There's only three people on the planet that can call me daddy. These people have to call me PD. You know me as Papa. You know me as your dad. That's different. That's special. And that's why Paul tucked it in there in Aramaic because that's how Jesus spoke about his father. That's how you can speak about the father. Papa, daddy. Charles Spurgeon once said, he has given you hope, ask for faith. When he gives you faith, ask for assurance. When he gives you assurance, ask for full assurance. When you've obtained full assurance, ask for enjoyment. When you have enjoyment, ask for glory itself. He will give it to you in his own appointed season glory what does that mean glory is when it's consummated is when we're no longer here and we're with christ the bible says to be absent in the body is to be present with the lord glory pastor spencer my pastor for years that was his word whenever he got all worked up and excited about something he'd say glory he just he welled up and that would be his word that word is better than woohoo or better than yay or yeah i don't know what else he just shouted out glory Nothing better than the moment that we're with the Lord. Glory. I love how Spurgeon put in the bottom two-thirds of the paragraph that I put up there for you. Ask for enjoyment. Have we forgotten as Christians that this present reality, we should be enjoying our new identity in this new reality. We have presence with God. And we should be asking Him for enjoyment. This, this world is full of troubles, I know. But we should be asking for enjoyment. Think of a father and a little boy walking down a country road, and the father's got the little boy's hand, and all of a sudden, for no reason at all, the father stops, swoops up the kid, and gives him a kiss, and puts him back down. Did, did swooping him up cause him to be a son? No, no, he, he was a son. What, why do that then? For enjoyment. Are you walking along with the Father? Are you walking along with Abba in your daily life and experiencing the joy of being a child of God? I pray that you are. I pray that you will. 
enjoyment. Not only is there a new identity and a new reality, there's a new destiny. I'm an heir of God, and I will inherit a marvelous, glorious future. I love how the Bible talks about that. It says in verse 17, Now if we're children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may share in His glory. One of the things about being an heir of God right now is that we are participating in the sufferings. Right now here, i got to remind you, this is not heaven. And we get caught up as Christians thinking we ought to make this like heaven, and this is not heaven, and it's not ever going to be heaven. Right now we're in the sufferings. And all the sufferings... That's why I I get really frustrated when pastors use the health and wealth gospel because that isn't reality. We suffer while we're here. James tells us, why are you surprised at the sufferings that you're endearing? As if it's some strange thing. No believers, understand it. We're living in the current era of suffering with Christ. But there's coming a time when the suffering will be gone. James Boyce said this, Peter and John were jailed, Stephen was killed, Paul was imprisoned, beaten, shipwrecked, starved, threatened, and exposed to the elements. What was true of them became true of their followers. They were ridiculed, hated, abused, endured disappointments, deprivation, disasters. Suffering is common to God's people. So friend, Christian, if you're saying, I'm a, I'm a believer, well, why is this so hard? Because this isn't heaven. We need to get our theology of heaven correct and our theology of suffering correct. We will suffer. We should be aching for the time when glory happens and he takes us home. We should be looking for that. Somebody from our congregation wrote me a wonderful letter asking me about what I believe about the end times, and is this the end times? It sure looks like the end times. We've got uh, all sorts of famine and so pestilence, and we've got all sorts of disease, and we've got fires. I mean, boy, you know, you watch the news at night, and it's like opening the book of Revelations. It's scary. And this person was telling me, I don't know what you believe. We need to do, and I'm going to be teaching through the book of Revelation soon. But my response to the question, what should we do? Well, we should do what the people in the Bible were told to do. Keep your lamp lit and look for the coming of the Lord. Amen? We need to keep our lamps lit. We need to be ready. And we do, by all means, we, need to, we do need to be aching and looking forward to that time when the sufferings are done. And there's no more tears and no more sorrow, no more pain, and no more suffering. Everybody say suffering. Oh, suffering. Even in this passage, as I read to you bits of it earlier, later on, the Bible talks about even this earth is suffering, groaning right now. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Look me in the eyes, folks. This is not the way it's supposed to be. That's why there's coming a day when the father, when Abba, when Papa is going to look to his son and say, hey, go get your bride. Go get her. It's time. Because I'm done with all. I can't take it anymore. I can't look down and see the the hurt. I want to put it in. Go get your bride. The Bible says Jesus doesn't even know the time. How can you know the time? That's why when people tell you it's the time, don't listen to them. The Bible says no one knows the day or the time. But keep your lamp lit and be ready. There's coming a day when God's going to say, go get your bride. They've suffered enough. It's time for glory and all that will be glory for you and for me whoops i think i turned it off 
The second part of being an heir is eventually we'll be sharing in his glory. That's what we're looking forward to. When God calls us home, either he calls us home or all people will go home to be the future rest. Death is a, is a, is a robber. But for the believer, there's hope and there's a future. I hope you're celebrating. I hope you're knowing what you have. It would be tragic if you didn't know what you had by being an heir. I got to find my story here. It was it's a great story about Timothy Gray. I don't know if you've ever heard of Timothy Gray. A 60-year-old body of Timothy Gray was found under a Wyoming underpass two days after Christmas in 2012. Timothy Gray had lived a sad life. He was a homeless person. Nothing had happened to him except for he died of hypothermia underneath that underpass in Wyoming. Gray's great-grandfather was a wealthy copper miner, railroad builder, and a founder of a small Nevada town. You might have heard of it. It's called Las Vegas. The old man's fortune was passed down to his daughter, Huguette, who died in 2011 at the age of 104. Wow. At the time of her death, she left $300 million. At the time of Timothy Gray's death, the execution of that will was tied up in court. As things turned out, the man found under that bridge was worth $19 million. Homeless man, dying of hyperthermia, didn't even know that he was worth $19 million. Wouldn't it be a tragic if you and I would spend our time here in this place that's not heaven, not experiencing this new reality that God has for us? A new identity and a new reality waiting for a great destiny. I pray that today you'll go home and just celebrate in it. I, I, I don't know, maybe you just don't drink enough coffee, but I get excited I, I, I was in my office writing this over and over again this week. It took me several days, and every day I found myself writing the message and singing songs. That's what I do. I like to sing. I just, I burst, I kind of bubble out in songs. I didn't even know I was doing it until as I'm writing, I'm like, oh, that's a good song. And I started writing down the songs that were coming to mind as I was preaching, writing the sermon. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. You drowned my fears in perfect love. You rescued me so I can stand and sing. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. I am a child of God. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. When I was a foe, still your love fought for me. You've been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You've been so, so kind to me. And I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. But I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night. And you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. Sing it with me. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. 
That's who I am. And for old timers like me, maybe you know this one. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is our story, this is our song, praising the Savior all the day. I don't know, maybe you can go home and just go on with your day, but I hope you're just going to get wrapped up like I am. We're children of God. Oh, I've got a new identity, a new reality, and a great destiny. If you don't have it, I pray you'll receive it. You can do that today by simply saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life as Savior and Lord. If you've never done that, do it now where you sit. We're going to walk right into communion because what a great way to do that in recognition of who we are and who he is. Abba, we come before you. Papa, we come before your table to celebrate what Christ has done for us.